My name is Virginia. Robert. Haley. Hi, my name is Talinda. My name is David. It's Jackie. It's Richard. I'm Dr. Jennifer Ashton. I'm Melissa, and I lost my father to suicide. Suicide has touched my life. Suicide has completely turned my world upside down. So many people are interested in this concept of post-traumatic growth. This is how deepening our understanding about life can help honor the person you're grieving for. My guest today for the whole show, my friend and sister in this confusing journey, Talinda Bennington. Chester Bennington was the super successful lead singer of Linkin Park. He was known for his sound and his personal connection with his fans. And then he died by suicide nearly two years ago. Instead of harping on the why, his wife Talinda decided to honor his life by becoming an advocate for changing the way we deal with mental illness. So I had compassion. I had compassion for the pain he must have been feeling. Um, and I felt guilty as his wife for not seeing that. We've lived similar grief journeys, and today we'll have a raw and honest discussion about finding the courage to go on for our children, for the one we lost, and for ourselves. My mindset really changed of I'm not going to stay stuck in despair, and I'm going to move through the grief. I'm Dr. Jennifer Ashton, and this is Life After Suicide. Linda, your, your background is so impressive on so many levels, but more when I met you as a person, you really blew me away. But you have become a massive advocate for changing the way in which we deal with mental health. Um, and so you and I met. Um, we met in London in October at the Global um, mm -hmm. Summit for Mental Health, and you were kind enough to spend some time talking to me then. Um, and you and I have, have this connection now. Right. I, I guess I want to start for people who aren't familiar with Chester, um, which I guess is hard to understand because Linkin Park is such a massively popular um, worldwide group. Explain kind of how your life changed on July 20th. Um Wow. <laughs> How did it change? Um, it, it literally went from um, living one life to living another in a split second. Um, and to leave who I was before the phone call behind and, you know, step forward with um, a strength and confidence that I didn't even know I had. Um, and I did that because of my children. I, I had to, I had to do it for them. And so, it's all kind of a blur now how everything, you, you know, happened because it happened so fast. But within five days of um, Chester dying, I was um, laying on the floor crying, just hysterical. I just couldn't breathe. And I looked up at my best friend, um, Dr. Becca Harvey. She's a psychologist. And, um, and I just looked at her and I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I could hear my kids downstairs playing and it made me happy that they were outside playing and trying to have a good day. And I thought, okay, that it sounds like they're okay, but they're not okay because their mom's upstairs um, on, and the floor. A mess on the floor. Right. So in that moment, I just said, I'm, I'm done. And I got up and I took a shower and that's kind of, that's kind of where my mindset really changed of, I'm not going to stay stuck in despair and I'm going to move through the grief. And the way I began to do that was connecting with fans on Twitter. Uh, they were 
you know, reaching out, saying how sad they were and how they didn't think they could go on because Chester couldn't. Um, and I knew that that's the last thing Chester would have wanted. Um, so I didn't know how to help each and every person that was, um, tweeting to me. And I thought to myself, well, why don't I just retweet these tweets and ask the other, um, you know, LP fans to lift each other up. And that caught on like wildfire and it became a support group for people around the world. Um, there have been meetup groups made there to this day. There was actually a wedding. <laughs> um, uh, that was like one of the best things I had ever heard. It gives me chills to this day. You know, love grew from such a tragedy, but it, it's not really, you know, it, maybe I was the catalyst for that, but like the world was, was hungry for trying to get better. They, they, they were hungry for healing, supporting. right, right. I mean, it's time for the world to talk about this and the proof is, you know, with people like yourself and, you know, myself and all these great organizations being heard finally, um, you can see that people are just ready to, to make a difference. It's amazing. And, and it's really, really true. I want to talk a little bit more about Chester because he left such an amazing and beautiful legacy, um, really through his music. Um, how has that been a gift to your children and to you as you've moved through the initial stages of, of the grief after his suicide? Well, it's, it's really great because, you know, the, the kids will always have that to listen to, but, um, to be honest, I can't listen to, I can't listen Mm -hmm. to his voice. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to listen to a song. I've walked out of restaurants when I just hear the first like, note. you remember that game show name that tune? Yeah. And like, yeah, I can like name that tune in less than a note. And, and I like, I'll jump from the back seat and change the station. I'll do, I'll Mm -hmm. jump out of the car if I have to. Um, and that's just like a visceral reaction. I still have to this day that it's just, I can't touch that. It's just too painful, but the kids go through periods of wanting to listen to their dad, but then more, they, they want to look, they want to look at the videos that we have, the home videos and we have pictures all over the house. And so they're constantly reminded and, um, are the videos as hard for you to look at as hearing his music? No, no, they're hard though. Depends on, depends on the day. Um, and I went through a period where I could watch everything and it was fine. And, um, it was interesting because my son Tyler couldn't. And so I was listening, I was watching a video in the living room one day and he was really upset, but then he goes in his room and he turns his dad's music on and like, I have Mm. to walk out. Mm. So, you know, you know, you know, we all experience grief in different ways in different moments. And that's a really good example of it. But, um, you know, the kids, the kids, for the most part, you know, the girls are still so young. They do know about his music and how important that was to the world, but especially for, my younger children, um, you know, that sadly their dad's death is more of an acute pain and acute feeling. And, um, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do because I don't want them to think of their dad dying as solely tragic. I want Mm -hmm. them to be able to look back one day and say, okay, my dad's death changed the world too, Mm -hmm. just like his music did. I think that's, that's really how you and I bonded. At least I, I feel that on my on my side. You know, we came from obviously very different 
backgrounds, you know, I guess in, you can't get much more boring and straight and narrow than medicine <laughs> and you can't get much more creative and artistic than <laughs> music and um, performance art. And, um, and yet as mothers, we kind of, that was our instinctive reflex our initial response was to protect our children after they had been so deeply hurt. Um, how are your kids now? Well, thank you for asking. They're, they're good. They're good. They're actually very well adjusted. I have the best, the best girl tribe ever. My, my friends are the best. I, I have, I, I can't even begin to tell you, you know, after um, Winchester died, I was, my home was filled with my friends, our friends, you know, over the last 20 years and day in, day out, they were with me as long as I wanted them to be. So the support, you know, is, is, is amazing. So there's just, I don't do it alone. And so I never claim that I do, but the part where it's hardest and it's the thing that only I can handle, um, is at night, you know, when the kids cry and, yeah. and, they, and they, and they get sad. Um, and that happens, you know, I mean, I'm sure you understand with your own children, what triggers them. I mean, it comes out of the blue, right? You know, and you're like, what the heck? Oh wait, I think this is happening. And then, you know, it's, it's, that's when I get sad. That's when when I get angry and you know, we work through it. It's just, it's part of life. And, you know, sadly my kids had to learn that, that death is, such a part of life. When you were kind of in the, your initial stages of grief, can you share, you know, obviously it was such a global story in the media and in the news, but could you share what kinds of things helped you in those initial, you know, days of weeks and months and, and even what didn't help? Yeah. Um, of course. So, you know, Chester died in our home. Um, we had, just bought the home. We were only living there for five weeks. Oh. And, um, so we were on, we were at our, actually at our vacation home and he had to go back home early because he had to work the next day. He had a TV commercial to shoot. So, um, so the kids and I had to travel back from our vacation home to our home where he had died. And so, um, I had called a couple of my good friends who, you know, do energy work and, and, um, one of my friends who's Catholic. And I said, please just bring everybody you can to come clear the energy, um, out of that space because I, I, I cannot let this home be tragic. I'm not moving my kids out of their home. Like we just set up their rooms, you know, like this, you know, Chester never would have wanted to do this to our family, um, you know, which, uh, you know, proves, proves the point that he wasn't in his right mind. Um, and so I had to make sure that home would still be safe. So my friends and family, um, you know, the band, the, you know, their wives, I mean, they're, they are my immediate family. I mean, we consider each other immediate family. We were extremely close. Um, they were all there and just stayed every, I asked every, everybody that was comfortable to stay, 
to stay and we just blew up a bunch of air mattresses in the bedroom and just you know filled the house with love and i am so grateful for everybody that put aside their own emotions and um mm. their own discomfort you know at, at actually staying in a house in a room where where chester died and but we turned that around and that house was full of love um that's incredible. and i thought that was I felt that was a good way to honor Chester. Um, and as much as I wanted to move right away, I intuitively knew I had to wait for the kids to come to that conclusion on their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, little by little they did. And once, you know, the last, the last one said, you know, uh, mommy, I want to, I want to move. Then that's when we decided to look for a different house. And, um, and how long so that, after his death was that? Um, five months. I mean, again, the, the similarities, Rob had, had killed himself by jumping off the George Washington Bridge um, at, in New York City, and our apartment was hundreds of yards from that bridge and looked out onto that bridge. And within a couple of days after his death, my kids said to me, Mom, we can't stay here. We can't look yeah. out that window. And I remember feeling an incredible sense of relief because I could do something that I thought would help their pain. Right. Like as, as women were like, Oh, can do you give me a task. I will do it. So when they said we want to move, I was like, Oh, fantastic. I'll, I mean, I could, do you want to be out of here today? We can stay with a friend, you know? Um, and so for us, we moved three months after Rob's death. Um, you know, they said, no, it doesn't have to be right now, but you know, when we get home from school at the end of the school year, we'd like to, you know, be in a different place. And so for us, it was three months after. For you, it was five months. But you talk about the place that Chester died. Um, but I want to go back, if you can, to the timing a little bit, because you had told me when we were in person that it, you, the timing was so unexpected, so so much so of a unexpected. shock for you. Yes, explain, explain what you mean by that. Well, Chester struggled with mental health issues his whole life. And, um, you know, he wasn't, you know, he didn't walk around, you know, like how, how some might think a depressed person would walk around. Right. Um, you know, he had highs and lows like we all do. Some, some of his highs were higher and some of his lows were lower. I used to tease him and say, you don't, you feel everything big. You just have really big emotions. And he would laugh and he would you know, say, yeah, you're right. And, um, but, and Chester struggled with alcoholism and, um, and so the, the year before and maybe two years before that he was, he was having more lows than he was having good days. And, um, he, um, at the time of his death, he had been in an outpatient program for alcoholism and it was, it, it was connecting with him. It was actually the first time that I, I felt that he was really connecting with, with his program and with sobriety and doing so because he, he wanted to do it, not because, you know, there was pressure from, you know, anybody else, you know, and he was happy. He, he really seemed like he was in a good place. And, um, the, some of the interviews he had given before he died, cause he just had finished a promo tour for, for the album. Um, you know, he speaks about 
what goes on, what was going on inside of his head during these dark moments. And, um, the fact that he was speaking about them was a huge step forward in his mental health in a healthy manner. Um, that he was sharing that with the world. Um, and you know, a lot of people think that he wrote like a lot of these songs for the last album, but he didn't, but he, he sang them with the emotion. They say, who cares if one more light goes out in the sky of a million stars? It flickers, flickers. Who cares when someone's time runs out? If a moment is all we are. And it was interesting because as, as the songs were written, you know, he would say like, wow, this is like, I can relate to this. And that's how he brought the emotion out in the songs. We just thought he was okay. We just, he, I can't, I, I don't, I, I, I can't emphasize enough. I mean, if you knew Chester, you, you would know that he was in a good place and, and in such a good place. He was, it was like, he could, you know, taste the food better. He could feel the, you know, the hugs harder. He wanted to, he was just in a really good place. And so, um, and he wasn't even drinking. Um, that was the thing. He wasn't even, he wasn't even in, in, in an active state of, of, of drinking. And so when this happened, it was, it just happened. And it was a complete shock, obviously to everybody because it wasn't like he was like left, you know, left us and was like sad or, you know, moody or depressed or how I had seen him, you know, in the previous years. So I don't know. I mean, I'll never know what happened in those last moments, but what I've learned about, um, his, his, his clinical diagnosis, um, you know, these, these impulsive moments happen with somebody who had, who, who had some of the mental illness, I don't, I don't want to say issues. Yeah. Like clinical diagnoses, right. So, um, that he had, and it makes sense now when I look back, it, it all makes sense. We're going to take a quick break in our conversation, but more with Talinda Bennington in a minute. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyone who's lost a loved one to suicide typically thinks, you know, anger, shame, blame, guilt, stigma. Did you have any, all of those? And of course, if so, yeah. how did you deal with them? Of course. Um, at f- my first reaction f- for a while was, was compassion. I felt compassion for him um, because I knew in my heart of hearts he never meant to hurt us. And whatever was going through his mind that night, he never would want it to hurt us. So whatever he thought he was doing or, or whatever, he just wasn't in his right mind. 
So I had compassion. I had compassion for the pain he must have been feeling. Um, and I felt guilty as his wife for not seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I've learned, you know, he, if he, he hit it, that's, that's what they do. I, I blame myself sometimes, but, um, we had been going through, you know, fit the family, the family program with the, with the outpatient stuff. So I was really well versed and we had, we had had many of these sessions at the treatment center and, you know, he would explain to me that it's, it's not my fault that, you know, he drinks, you know, cause originally it was like, you know, am I making you so unhappy? Is that why you drink? Is that why? And you know, you learn like, no, that's not why right. <laughs> it's, a, it's an addiction. And right. so I was educated on that. And I, then I, I understood that like, you know, when he's moody and upset, like it's not about me. It's, it's really not about me is what I learned. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. And if, if any of anybody out there that loves somebody with addiction, um, if I can say anything, you have to understand that that addiction and, and a depression, it is not about you. So I learned to not take it personally. Um, and to, you know, um, they tell you in, in, in treatment to step aside, get out of the person's way of recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take the best thing you can do is take care of you. And I was, I, that's where I was at when he died. So I knew, I knew it had nothing to do with me. Um, it had nothing to do with our kids, our life. You know, it was something beyond my control. And, you know, I'm a woman of faith and I've raised my children, you know, every night when they say their prayers, I, I tell, I've always told them, you know, to give thanks to God and that, that God will always take care of us. And so when he passed, that was something that I really leaned on. And I was able to tell them, you know, that, you know, you, if you trust, trusted God in the good times and he brought us, you know, our lives that we had and brought us this and that. And I would give examples. We have to trust that God's got us now and that we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and we are. I want to end Talinda by asking you to talk about, um, 320 and your work in starting this incredible organization and how it's helped you, how it's helped you heal and recover by helping others. Because I think that you are such a walking, breathing, living example of that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, you asked me earlier how my life changed (laughs) and, and I went from from being a very happy stay-at-home mom to the you know to the kids and you know helping Chester you know just being supportive and managing his schedule and just doing the science lab at my kids' school like to you know being catapulted into this world where I felt it was the best way to honor him and to help the kids and um, ultimately myself was to plug into the mental health space in any way I could. And in the beginning, I was on conference call after conference call and meeting after meeting with different mental health organizations, trying to figure out what I could do to help if, or if I was going to start a nonprofit. And the conclusion I came to pretty quickly, I was actually, first of all, surprised that there wasn't one place to go to, to access all these different resources, which I had no idea that existed. And I wish I knew, oh, there's so many amazing resources and they would have helped if I would have known they would have helped Chester. Um, because it's not one size fits all. There are hundreds of thousands and I'm sure you know this 
um, of different organizations, I was really shocked. There wasn't a streamlined connection. So, so then, you made one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So then I had an idea. It just kind of was like one of those light bulb ideas. I thought, you know, there should be a universal phone number to call. And just like you call 411, it should be like a 411 for mental health. And so I was like, what would that number be? So I, I <laughs> thought of 320, Chester's birthday. And that's how I partnered with Change Direction. Now we have 320 Changes Direction. And the focus of 320 Changes Direction is a technological-based solution to streamline mental health resources for everybody globally. Um, and we're doing that with a website. We're working on the 320 number. We're working on a festival that's going to be next year. It's really exciting. So oh. I'll have more news to come about that. Yay! But, but I partnered with um, Kevin Lyman from the Warp Tour. So we're going to, we are in the process of creating something really amazing with Staples Center. It's, it's really about just never stopping and letting and, and creating opportunities for the average person to see that they can plug in and to see that they're not alone. Um, and I think that's how we are going to help these staggering numbers get reduced, right? Because yep. I, don't, I don't think everybody needs therapy. I think that everybody needs to talk about their mental health. A hundred percent. Talinda, you're so right. And I'm just so in awe about how much you've been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. And um, for people, if there are any who are not familiar with Chester's incredible body of work and, and his work as a musical artist and his group, Lincoln Park, there's an incredible article that appeared in Rolling Stone magazine, August 4th, 2017, really um, tells you a lot about Chester's life. Um, and people who want to stay connected to you on Instagram is Talinda320. And again, you're the organization that you co-founded 320 Changes Direction, um, and as you being the executive advisor to the Campaign to Change Direction, you are just an incredibly beautiful person, and um, really, I mean that inside. I mean, thank, of course, you're a beautiful you. model too, <laughs> but inside, your your heart, your spirit, um, as as a mother, as a woman, as someone who has survived suicide and really have have taken the worst tragedy, the most unthinkable pain and uh, used it not only for your healing and recovery and, and that of your children, but for so many other people that you don't even know. And um, I just wanted to thank you for that and tell you how much I admire you for that. Well, thank you. And I admire you too. I admire your braveness for writing your story. Um, I read your book and I just, I loved it because I felt I was with you through your journey. And it was... You are it really brought out a lot of emotions, but it left me feeling hopeful. And I think that that's important for the listeners to understand is that, you know, if you've lost a loved one and if for any reason, that the best way to honor that our loved ones is to keep living in love and to keep living our lives and to make them proud, whatever, yeah. whatever that means to you. You know, before Chester died, we had a conversation about despair and grief. And we had a mutual, we have a mutual friend who lost a son 25 years ago. And Chester was explaining to me that she lives in despair. And I didn't know what that meant. And so he explained that despair is 
a state of grief that you're always in it. You're just, it's just, you're always sad. Grief is something you move through. Despair is something you're stuck in. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, I don't ever want you to live in despair. And Mm. it gives me chills to say that. And he told me that about three weeks before he died. Mm. Um, And those words, you know, after things started calming down a little after he died and after he died, I almost felt guilty for moving forward um, Mm -hmm. and for enjoying my day. Sometimes I would feel guilty for that. And it was like, he was like, you know, in my ears telling me that. So, you know, so for those who need to hear it, you know, despair is not a state where we should live in, you know, we should move through a grief. There is happiness on the other side while, while we do hurt and we do, you know, that pain will always be there. You know, for me personally, I honor Chester by moving forward in love. I want to thank Talinda Bennington for sharing her story with me. I know Lincoln Park Nation will let her know how proud of her they all are. Please keep the conversation going online. It's so important. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at drjashton. The ripple of sudden loss due to suicide is very real. We want to reach as many people as possible. So please share this podcast, subscribe, and give us a review. It means the world to me. Next week, I share a conversation with my colleague, James Longman. From the outside, he looks like he has the perfect life. I have so many privileges in my life, and yet... In that moment, I was alone, and none of it meant anything. He's speaking openly about his family history with suicide, and he's trying to break the cycle of mental health challenges. I look at my family, and I go, wow, I have a grandfather who killed himself. I have a father who killed himself. And then when I was in my 20s, I went through a really serious bout of depression. Please remember, you're not alone. The Prevention Hotline is open 24-7, and it's free. Just dial 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. Trained counselors are available to talk to anyone who needs help. I want to thank the Life After Suicide team that helps put this podcast together. Eric Strauss, Anne Reynolds, Tara Gimble, Trevor Hastings, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kalb, and everyone at ABC News who's been so supportive of life after suicide. Thanks for taking this journey with us. We'll see you back here next week on Life After Suicide.